Our first reading this morning is uh, from Luke uh, chapter 11. <clears throat> Just to set the context, excuse me. <clears throat> um, Luke um, has told us of Jesus teaching about prayer, uh, and Jesus has gone from there to, to driving out demons uh, and having a fairly frank discussion with those around him. A woman in the crowd has, has cried out, Blessed is your mother who gave birth to you. And Jesus' retort is somewhat uh, harsh, but uh, he'd rather bless those who hear the word of God and obey it. So we're not talking here of Jesus meek and mild. So as we pick up uh, verse 29, as the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. When preparing for a sermon, you have an opportunity to take a step back and to reevaluate things for yourself. It's a time to reflect upon your own life and to think about what is being said in the passage and the message that is being spoken to you through the scriptures. This, I believe, is what God has spoken to me over the past few weeks. Sometimes the message, as we've just read, can be difficult to hear. With this in mind, I've called the sermon Inside Out. To start with, I'd like to put out a series of questions that I myself have asked over the past few weeks. Some of these you may have asked yourself recently as well, or have been thinking about. What does your life look like on the inside? What is happening inside of you? Are you real? Is what people see the true you? Or is there a true you and then the you that you let people see? This may be one of the issues that we face as individuals today. 
We are so connected with the outside world and have so many social friends that we create an image of ourselves that portrays successes. We post online wonderful holidays. We tweet about what we have done. And because of this, we may compare ourselves to each other, saying things such as, how comes their children always go on family walks? Or wishing that you might have a life that is portrayed by Joe Bloggs. But is this the real you? Is this the real us? Is this the real me? The image that is being shown to us could very well be not the real person. One of the problems is we may feel alone, even though we have this circle of friends. In this passage, we can read that Jesus is going to look into this problem and help us to evaluate who we are and help us come up with a solution to our problem. So let's set the scene. Jesus was teaching, and a Pharisee invites him to dinner. So Jesus goes with the Pharisee for dinner. Remember that the Pharisees are a group of respected religious leaders in the Jewish faith in Jesus' day. They were a select group who held strongly to oral traditions passed down from their forefathers. Jesus goes with the Pharisee and sits at the table. The Pharisee is utterly shocked because Jesus did not first wash his hands. The shock is not coming from hygiene. The Pharisee is not having a problem because he knows about bacteria and viruses and the need to wash hands before putting one's hand in one's mouth. The issue is about ceremonial cleanliness. The Pharisee was surprised Jesus didn't wash his hands before eating. As I said, this wasn't a matter of cleanliness, but a ceremonial law. The law of the Pharisee said one must wash his hands before every meal and between courses. Every detail was laid out. Large stone pots were kept for the purpose to make sure that someone didn't become unclean. The amount used was to be at least enough to fill one and a half eggshells. First, the water must be poured over the hands, beginning at the tips of the fingers and then running down to the wrist. Then the palm of the hand was cleansed by rubbing the fist of the other on it. Finally, water must be again poured over the hands, this time beginning at the wrist and running down to the fingertips. Jesus responded to the surprise of the Pharisees at his not washing his hands by speaking of their hypocrisy. And in doing so, tells us what a hypocrite looks like. Jesus said, if the Pharisee was to be truly right with God, 
he should give as much attention to cleansing his heart as he did to cleansing his hands. The Lord points out this absurdity of of attaching such importance to the mere cleansing of the body, while the cleansing of the heart is overlooked. He reminds his host that God looks at the inward part of us, the hidden person of the heart, far more than our skins. The Lord is concerned with what our heart is like rather than our Facebook status. So, are we frauds? The most important seats in the temple faced the congregation. The Pharisees loved them because they gave the honour from men. They loved greetings in the marketplace, it says in the passage, because they could honour each other. These self-determined standards were how they measured goodness. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. A little story for you. A man had his boss over for dinner in his house. The boss was rude. The boss was loud. The boss was arrogant. As the meal progressed, the man's little boy kept looking at his father's boss. Finally, the boy asked, sorry, the boss asked the little boy, why have you been staring at me all night? The boy replied, well, my daddy said that you're a self-made man. That's right, the boss said beamingly. Well, I was just wondering, said the boy, if you are a self-made man, why did you make yourself to be like this? A fraud is more interested in what he can make of himself than in the eyes of others. Sorry, a fraud is more interested in what he can make of himself in the eyes of others than in what God can make of him. Jesus, again, addresses the issue. The Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but are full of greed and wickedness inside. This is a fairly disgusting image. A dirty cup on the inside is not usable. You only have to look at any staff room in any school across any part of this land to see many, many dirty cups. Now, I'm not thrilled with dirt on the outside, but if it does not affect where my mouth goes, is it not a big concern? Now, no one washes dishes and cleans only the outside of the cup. There was a time when we didn't have dishwashers. Where did you start when you cleaned the cup? You'd start on the inside of the cup. You take the sponge full of soapy water and you cleaned the inside of the cup. Then you would clean the rim of the cup 
where people had put their mouths. Finally, we would clean the outside of the cup and then rinse the cup out. No one cleaned the outside of the cup first and then acted like you'd given it a little lick wash and claimed it was clean. But this is what the Pharisees are doing. They are not starting with the inside. They are not starting with the heart. They are only concerned about ceremonial and external things. The Pharisees were keeping commands. They were tithing. But they are not obeying with a love for God or a love for what is right. To a point, they were giving meaningless offerings. They had lost the joy of giving in tithing. They were keeping God's laws in some areas, but were ignoring other commands. They neglected justice. They neglected the love of God. However, God made the internal and the external, and both count before the Lord. Jesus says that the problem with the Pharisees is that they are so concerned with the external facts that they make sure their unclean hands are clean, but do not care about their unclean hearts. We know from the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus highlights the same message here. And interesting, this morning we pointed out who again, who was our neighbour? A neighbour is anyone in need. You are worried about outward purity, but give no concern to inward purity. In verse 41, Jesus makes the point clear. Pay attention to your heart to find purity. Give from your heart. Generosity of the heart will clean the inside of the cup completely. This will enable us to go out and bring people to Christ. To go out and just do it. The Pharisees were supposed to be leading people to the Lord. They were supposed to be teaching God's word to the people. They were given the key to knowledge. They were given the tools to reveal God to the world. Not only did they not enter into God's kingdom, they also prevented others from entering as well. We have been given the very words of God with the purpose of teaching God's people his will. But is our cup full of wickedness, and so we fail to share the knowledge of God? We confuse people because our lives do not match up with what we are teaching. Remember, a disciple never forgets his mission to seek and to save the lost. It is critical we look at what needs to be done for the gospel rather than what makes the church look good to those outside. We need to ask, where is the need? But we must be careful we don't burden others.
Verse 46 states, we burden others, but not ourselves. On occasions, we may do this. We may well tell other people of all the things they should be doing, but we are unwilling to do ourselves. People may complain. Why doesn't the church do this? Why did the youth worker do this? Why doesn't the minister do so-and-so? Jesus answers the question with his own question. Why don't you do it? Stop putting burdens on others and pick up the burden. I know there is so much that needs to be done. I could use a little help here. You do it. Stop telling other people your good ideas and, well, just do them. Anytime a person comes to you with a good idea of something we should do, maybe our response could well be, it is a good idea, so why don't you do it? But be careful. Please consider. Just because something sounds like a good idea for you and your life, it doesn't mean it's a good idea for the spread of the gospel. It is also important for us not to assume that others are slacking. Assume they are busy doing the work. And it is your time to be busy doing the work as well. We want good ideas. We need good ideas. But more importantly, we need people to execute the good ideas. If we are unwilling to spearhead the work then it must not be as important and as necessary as we think. Disciples think of the work they can do and do not think of the work that others can do. But this can be hard if we don't have our eyes wide open. I'd like to take you back to the start of the passage that talks about not hiding the light of Jesus. Now, I'm very aware that the message today that's been spoken may come across as being a negative one or slightly harsh. And if it did, I apologize. So for the final part of the sermon, maybe it's a chance to lift our hearts a little. But before we go there, I would like again to, answer, to throw out a few questions like I did at the start. Is the light of Jesus hidden under the blanket of fear? We may be like Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple. Are we Christians, but no one knows about us? For some Christians, their light is hidden under the blanket of apathy. For some Christians, their light is is hidden under the blanket of silence. For some Christians, their light is hidden under the blanket of inconsistency. We have all come across glow-in-the-dark objects before. There was a man who had such an object, so he took it into the dark area to try it out. But it did not glow. So, he took it back into the light and read the instructions. 
If you want me to shine in the night, keep me in the light, it said. In the same way the moon merely reflects the light of the sun, Christians are to reflect the light of the sun. Those who follow Jesus actually become reflectors of the light. Just as the sun is the source of the light in our universe and the moon reflects the light of the sun. We have a duty to proclaim that the Lord is our saviour. So a challenge for us today. Open your eyes. Let the lamp, let the eyes be a lamp for your body. Let the light guide your path and do not walk in the darkness. Jesus is the source of the lights of the world and we as his followers are to reflect the light and turn the light from inside to outside. Friends, if we want our life to shine for the Lord in the darkness, we have to keep ourselves in the light. Last Sunday evening, we sang Christ Be Our Light, and I would like to read to you the chorus this morning to close. Christ be our light, shine in our hearts, shine through the darkness. Christ be our light, shine in your church gathered today. It's all about Jesus and no one else. Amen.